Glad you are here this morning. We have a saying that is, you can never go home again. You've probably likely experienced that to some level or another. I remember experiencing that expression when uh, I left from San Diego and went to college in Tampa and spent a year there and I went back home for the for the summer, and it wasn't like it was before. My life had moved on, my friends' lives had moved on, and it just wasn't the same as what I remember. Sometimes we have the ability to almost take this um, snapshot and freeze it in time, the way things were uh, in the past. If you ever like went back to your elementary school when you were an adult and you thought, this seemed a whole lot bigger now. Now that I'm here, it seems quite small. And things that we remember just aren't the same. And that's part of that expression of the inability to go home again. And there's some other aspect to why we have that saying is that sometimes you can't go home again because we mess up home. Uh, We make a mess of the way things were. You might remember Jesus told a parable along those lines about a son who was so insolent and so rebellious and so spiteful to his father that he said, essentially, I don't want to live here anymore. I want what is coming to me when you die. Give me my stuff, my possessions and my wealth, and I'm going to go live somewhere else and I don't want to be with you anymore. And as he wasted his life away, he came to a crisis moment where he was trying to figure out It seems impossible to go back home and it be home again. And he was working through that in his mind. Those are the ideas behind what the prophet Zechariah is talking about as he pictures the idea of calling for his people to come home. That one of the amazing things is while we have a saying that you can never go home again, there is one place where God says, yes, you can. And it is the home that he calls for us. And I want to look at some of the pictures that are given in Zechariah 12 that God used, I mean, Zechariah 10, that God uses as a means by which to encourage his people to see why they can come home again. But maybe nothing else in life feels like you can go back, but you can always come back to God. In, in Zechariah chapter 10, you'll notice the, the first picture in those first two verses The first verse just simply says, you realize that you can ask God of anything because ultimately he is the giver of every blessing. He is in charge. He can give you whatever you ask. It talks about the rains and the storms and the vegetation. He is the reason why we have what we have. He provides the food that we need. He provides the possessions that we need. He provides the jobs that we need. He is the great provider who gives us every blessing, who gives us exactly what we need. The problem is verse 2. You'd love to just end on verse 1 and go, yay, God gives us everything and we're going to follow him and listen to him, right? Well, verse 2 says the problem is what we do is rather than recognizing that God is the one who gives us everything, verse 2 says everybody turns to idols. We all turn to idols and we want our idols to take care of us. Now, I know what you're doing in your mind. We all do this. 
We don't have an idolatry problem. There are no stones or images of metal in our closets that we're bowing down to on a regular basis. We don't go down to that wood object and say, you know, please give me a job or please give me money. So we don't have an idolatry problem. But when God talks about idolatry, that's only a picture or a symptom of what the idea is all about. The idea of idolatry is essentially that you believe that somebody else or something else besides God provides for you and takes care of you. You think it's not God. And usually our greatest idol is me. (laughs) I take care of me. I make my decisions. I do my own thing. And so I am my own idol and I can do whatever I want to do. And I'm taking care of myself and I'm going to take care of all of those things. That's the idea of idolatry. Idolatry says the reason I live and the reason I have and the reason I exist and the reason everything happens is because of me. And what's really interesting about that thought process is you'll notice at the end of verse two what that leads you to. It says, so my people are wandering like sheep and they're afflicted. For a lack of a shepherd. So here's the problem. God says, I'm the one who gives you everything. We turn around and go, no, you don't. I'm in charge. I'll do whatever I want to do. And he says, here's the result. You end up wandering around in life with all kinds of pain and trouble and hardships and afflictions. That's what he's describing was going on back then. And nothing has changed in the slightest. (laughs) Same picture being given to us. He says, you need someone who will be your shepherd. And you and I make terrible shepherds. Now, we like to tell ourselves we make great shepherds. We're, we're doing a great job. We're, we, we are smash-up leaders. We are making phenomenal decisions. But the older you get, I just challenge you to look back over your life and ask yourself what a great job you really are doing. Are you sure you're doing such a great job about not wandering and being afflicted and making bad decisions and hurting other people and hurting yourself and breaking relationships and causing kinds of damage. We never do any of that, right? Because we are great shepherds. No. And that's what God says. You need a shepherd. When you trust in your idols and trust in yourself, you're wandering around aimlessly in life. You see that in the world right now? Wandering around aimlessly. Can't figure out which way's up and which way's down. No purpose, no understanding. Lots of hardships, lots of afflictions. And so God is trying to give us a picture and says, you need a shepherd because we put ourselves in all kinds of trouble. God is always trying to tell us this. If you follow your heart, which is what our world says to do, you will lead yourself to pain and destruction. Psalm 14 says that. I could throw a bazillion passages up there that say that. You do what you want to do and follow your own path and blaze your own trail and you be you and listen to your heart. You will ruin yourself. God is trying to tell us something really important. You need a shepherd. And I want you to hold this as one of your definitions of what sin ultimately is. Sin is basically telling God he is a lousy shepherd. Because when you sin, you are saying, what you have told me to do is really dumb, and I think I should do it like this. You are a terrible leader. You give terrible rules. Your path is really dumb. And I know, because I am such a smart, wise shepherd in my life, of how I ought to go. That's what sin is. 
Go back to the very first sin. What were Adam and Eve thinking? These rules are dumb and this fruit looks good. Right? It's as simple as that. God's rules don't make sense. He's a lousy shepherd. I can be wise in my own eyes. This makes perfect sense. It makes sense to me, so it must be right. God goes, no, it doesn't work like that. We make lousy shepherds. And God says, when you live your life that way, it ends in destruction. It ends in pain. And so every sin is ultimately communicating this truth to us. Every sin is ultimately saying to God, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know how to rule my life. You don't know how to lead. These are terrible rules, and I want to do what I want to do. Now, here's what's really interesting about all this. You would kind of expect that verse 3, God would say, and so I'm sick and tired of you people always saying that, so good luck to you. That's how I would want to respond. I'd just be like, you don't like my rules? Go try it out yourself. See how it works out for you. You think you're doing such a great job? Knock yourself out. I'm honoring you like that. <laughs> God, thankfully, is not. God says, I've got a rescue plan for you. I'm going to give you the shepherd that you need. Listen to verse 3 when he says, my anger is hot against the shepherds. I'll punish the leaders. That's these false leaders who are telling the people how to go the wrong way in the world. And he says there in verse 3, for the Lord of hosts cares for his flock. So God says, I'm going to rescue you. Because that's how much I care about you. I'm looking at you and you are lost and wandering and you are full of afflictions and full of pain because you were going your own way and you thought you were so smart, but you're really not. You're not doing a good job, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rescue you. And the reason I'm going to rescue you is because I care for you. Would you please emblazon that phrase in your mind for every single day of your life? God cares for his flock. God cares for his people. In fact, you will notice how much he cares for them. It says there in verse six, God says, I will strengthen the house of Judah. I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them. And they shall be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord their God and I will answer them. God says, Here's how I'm going to do. I'm going to rescue you because I have compassion. I care for my flock. And here's what I want to do for you. I want to save you. I want to strengthen you. And I want to bring you back. I care about you that much. And I have so much compassion on you. Even though you told me that I'm a lousy shepherd. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to save you. And I'm going to bring you back. It is truly a stunning picture, especially if you will zero in in the middle of verse six, where it says there, I will bring them back and have compassion on them and listen to it. And they shall be as though I had not rejected them. God says, I can restore this relationship. So it's like you never left. We can put this back together again to such a degree that it can be as if you never told me I was a lousy shepherd and you wandered away and you were doing all of your sins and doing your own thing. I can bring you back. I can strengthen you. I can save you. I will bring you back and not just kind of bring you back, but bring you back completely as if you had never left. Is that not part of what you love about Luke 15 parable about that son when he comes back? 
And that son comes back and he says, you know, I, I just should be a servant. I'm not even worthy to be a servant in your house. I'll just, I'll just be a servant. And you remember the father will have none of that. The father will have none of that. Put back his son. Grand party. Huge celebration. I'm not going to have that. You're going to be restored back just as you were before. Now, I love this picture because it is truly trying to show us that when God, when we call on God, God is going to answer us with compassion. In verse six, he says, I am the Lord, their God, and I will answer them. I am going to listen to them. I will answer them. I will rescue them. I will save them. He's looking for a people who are going to realize that they have messed up their lives because they have rejected the father and they've left his loving care. And they are at that point of understanding. They understand that they've messed things up. And sometimes what we do is we think I've messed things up so bad. I've messed up my life. I've messed up God's ways. I've left a pile of wreckage that there's no way God will take me back. I can't be put back to that same place. And I want you to see that God is saying, I will listen to you. I have compassion on you. I care for you and I will listen to you. God is not going to say to you when you come back, I told you that was going to happen. And so I'm not going to listen to you. I had an experience with this uh, just a few months ago. Uh, my, my daughter, Grace, had to put me in, in my right place for once. <laughs> so she was doing something. I can't remember exactly what she was doing, but she was running and she hit the wall and stubbed her toe and she crumples down to the ground and is, ah, oh, my foot. And me and my wise, sage, fatherly wisdom said, well, I told you to be careful. <laughs> and her response to me was great because it cracked me up. She said, I don't need a told you so. That doesn't help me. <laughs> so the went, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're exactly right. You didn't need an I told you so. What you needed was compassion. That's what God is saying right here. God is saying, yeah, I know you wrecked your life. I know what you said to me. I know what your sins are. I know you messed up. And when you come to me and call on me, he's not going to say, I told you so. Verse six says, I'll answer you. I'll show you compassion. I'll strengthen you. I'll save you. I'll bring you back. And I'll bring you back as if you never left. That is the hope that God is calling to the world. That is the hope that he is giving is he is calling for people that I'm going to respond with compassion if you will just come to me. This picture is emphasized in verses 8 through 12 as the rest of this picture goes, goes on. Look at verse 8 where God says, I will whistle for them and gather them in for I have redeemed them and they shall be as many as they were before. This is a neat picture. God says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to whistle for them and I'm going to call for them to come from wherever they are and come back to me. Verse 10, the ESV reads, and I will bring them back home. And I love that picture. I'm going to whistle for them and I've redeemed them 
and I'm going to bring them back home. That whistling picture really struck me. When I was a real little kid, we lived in a house that was in the cul-de-sac, and I had a little friend, had a friend of mine that called him little. I was just as little as him, or like six. And he had a mom who could whistle for him. We would be up the hill and at the top of the street, and on the other side, you couldn't see home. And she would whistle. You couldn't see her, but you could hear the whistle. And that meant one thing. I got to go home. <laughs> do not wait. Do not, do not delay. You better go home. Right? So I'd be like, oh, Johnny, let's play a little bit more. He's like, I got to go home. <laughs> my, my mom is whistling for me, and it's time to go home. That's the picture. God says, wherever you are, no matter how far away you are, no matter if you think you can't even see God because you have gone down the street, over the hill, around the bend, God says, I'm whistling for you to come in. I want you to hear the whistle because he says there in verse eight, because I have redeemed them. That's the way we're able to come home. You sit there and think, I'm so far away. I've made all these mistakes. I, I, I made these terrible decisions and I was uh, this believing in these idols and I could rule my own life. And here's God saying, no, I'm whistling for you. And the reason that he can whistle for us and call us home and bring us home is because he says in verse eight, I have redeemed them. I have paid a price for you. I am purchasing you. I am, I am bringing you back. That's the idea of redemption. If you ever read ransom or redeem, just think about the picture of, of buying back. Maybe you've used a coupon before. And the company is buying that piece of paper out of your hand for whatever the amount is written on there, 50 cents, a dollar, some free Slurpee on 7-Eleven day, whatever it says it'll give you. They're buying it back. You're presenting their buying. And God is saying, I can whistle you in. I can bring you home. I can strengthen you. I can save you. I can restore you because I've paid I've paid a price. I've redeemed you. I have brought this about so that you are able to come home. Friends, that's why the New Testament is always giving you those words. Like in Galatians chapter 3. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Here is this image. You were doomed and cursed. You separated yourself from God. You did verse two. God said, I gave you every blessing, but you went to your own idols. You said, I was a lousy shepherd. You went your own way, but that's okay because Christ has redeemed you. Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law. Or as Peter would say it in first Peter chapter one and verses 18 and 19, you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life. That's that verse two again. Going your own way, doing your own thing, thinking you've got it all figured out, making your own decisions, not listening to anybody. That was the empty way of life. He redeemed you from that, not with gold, not with silver, not with perishable things, but with the precious blood of Christ. That was the price paid to be able to bring you home. I want to leave an image with you and then we'll give some application. But the image is this. When you think about the cross of Jesus, the cross is God's whistle calling for everybody to come home. 
The cross is the whistle. God sends his son, redeems his people, and is whistling for the world and saying, price has been paid. And I care for my people. And I want to save you, strengthen you, and bring you back. And I want to bring you back as if you never left because I have compassion on my people. I'm not going to say I told you so. But I'm going to bring you back in. And you're going to be my children. And that is the imagery that's being drawn here is to try to get us to see that God is calling for everyone to come home. That this is the grand plan of God to save the world from sin. And one of the things that I really love is the end of this is not at the end of verse verse 10, but verses 11 and 12 are even more striking. I always like I'm a fool for infomercials. I don't buy any of them. But have you noticed every infomercial will say after it gets through the whole thing, it'll say, but wait, there's more. As always, but wait, there's more. And God's doing the same thing. This would be enough to put the period at verse 10. At verse 10, he could just say, I strengthen you. I'm saving you. I'm bringing you back. It'll be as if you never left. I'm blowing the whistle for you to come in. I want to give you all this. But listen to verse 11. And he shall pass through the sea of troubles. Strike down the waves of the sea. And all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be made low. And the scepter of Egypt shall depart I will make them strong in the Lord and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. Two really valuable images here. One, that sounds really close to that Exodus imagery here, doesn't it? Here we are drying up seas and passing through waters and God is saying, I'll do that for you. I will set you free from what you are enslaved to. Most importantly, set you free from sin. I'll set you free from that slavery. It'd be fun to do an aside. I don't have time for asides, but do a whole aside. If you think about in us being our own wise shepherds and living our own lives and going our own way, you know how many things we enslave ourselves to in the flesh because we do that? How many things we get addicted to, stuck to, vices, complications, because we're so smart and God doesn't know any better? Here's God saying, so I'll set you free. I can free you from that. I can free you from making those decisions. I can get you out of those things. I'll set you free from sin. I'll set you from the free from the things that you were enslaved to. But notice part of the imagery as well in verse 11 when he says, I will pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea. Oh, I love that picture. Not only do you have this redemptive exodus imagery as I'm going to set you free, but there's this image as if as you go in life and the storms and the waves start firing up with their troubles, God says, I'm going to beat them down too. (laughs) I'm going to pass through them and knock them out and wipe them out because I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you through. I'm going to carry you through the difficulties. I'm going to carry you through the hardships. You might remember David speaking like that in Psalm 23 about even though he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he has a shepherd who is leading him so he will not fear. That's the picture that's happening right here. 
I'm setting you free from sin and enslavement. And I'm going to carry you through the troubles. I'm going to carry you through the hardships. In fact, you might, in thinking about this imagery, realize there are a number of occasions where Jesus models this. There are a number of times where you will see disciples struggling with storms in a boat. And one of the times while they're struggling with storms in a boat, Jesus just goes walking by on the water. (laughs) Here's somebody who's above all that. Here's somebody who can get you through. Or another time when they're struggling with storms in a boat and what's Jesus doing in that very boat? Ah, he's sleeping. And the disciples are absolutely freaking out. And Jesus just says, you know what? Peace be still. And seems to be like, and so what were you freaking out about? (laughs) He's giving us that picture right here. See that in verse 12? I will make them strong. I will make them strong. And Jesus doing these miracles is trying to communicate that to his disciples. Do you have faith in me? Do you trust me? Do you see me as your shepherd? Do you understand what I can do that what I'm here for? I can set you free. I can lead your life. I can change your circumstances. I have come for you. I've come to save you and strengthen you and help you through life and whatever may come. And so often what we do in our decisions is we have wrecked our lives and don't see that God is the way out. And that's what's being pictured right here. This connects all the way back to verse 2. Because in verse 2, the people wander like sheep and they are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. And in verse 12 says, but I'm going to make them strong in the Lord. And they shall walk in his name. The imagery that we are being given to us is because God's compassion and love is so deep for us. That there's no need to wander in life anymore. There's no need to be lost in life any longer. God is saying, if you will come to me, rather than having a wrecked life, I can carry you through life. I will be your shepherd. I will give you the help you need. I will give you the support you need. I will give you the hope that you need. This is the essence of what's in the balance of those first two verses. We are either going to look to ourselves and say, all of my help and all of my hope is in me and in my wisdom and in my strength and in my power, in my knowledge. It's all in me. And every time you think that, I just just ask yourself, how's that been going for you? How's that been going for you? Or realize that all the help you need and all the hope you need is all bound in the knowledge of God, in the wisdom of God, in the love of God, in the compassion of God. That's what Zechariah wants us to understand about who our God is, that we have a shepherd who will not forsake us, but is whistling for us to come home. The Lord is waiting for us. Friends, this is why the why Peter will say these words toward the end of his second letter is what he says here. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. This, if we had time, we don't. Chapter three. What does everybody in the world say? 
world's been going on for a real long time and where's the coming of his promise and he says he's going to come but we've been here thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years and so God's not ever going to do anything and here's God's response to that I'm not slow in keeping my promise here's what I am I'm patient with you I'm whistling for you to come home I'm calling for you to return. And I'm waiting patiently for you to make that decision. I want you to come back to me so that you can be restored, be at home and be as if the relationship had never been severed, as if you had never left. And I just want for you to ask yourself this question before we come to our conclusion here. What's keeping you from coming home? What's keeping you from coming home? What I hope you'll see is it's not God. God's opening his arms and throwing the door open and saying, come home. I'm whistling for you to come home. I have compassion on you for you to come home. I will strengthen you. I'll save you. I'll bring you back. It will be as if you never left. What is keeping you from coming home. Why stay lost if you can finally be home? Why be aimless when you can have the purpose of God? Why go through the afflictions and the hardships when you can have God carry you through? Why continue to follow your own way when your own way keeps making things a mess? And God says, I will lead you through. Why stay alone when you can have God? And why trust in our own power And our own abilities. When God says in verse 1, you know, if you just asked of me, I'll give it to you. You just ask me. I'm the good father who will give it to you. I'm the one who gives every good blessing. And the cross of Jesus continues to whistle to you today to see his love and to come home. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, for me, I I stand amazed at your patience. I stand amazed at your patience, Lord. Lord, how could you be so patient with us who so often reject you? Lord, I pray that you will forgive us for as often as we act like the son in the parable of Luke 15, who basically tell you our way is better than your way, that our thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and that our wisdom is far superior to yours. Forgive us for how many times, Lord, that we have decided and proclaimed or thought enacted upon the idea that you are not the giver of these things, but that we have done it ourselves. Lord, forgive us for our pride and forgive us for our self-sufficiency. And Lord, I pray that you would always prick our hearts to realize that we have everything because of you. We are here because of you. We live, move, and breathe because of you. And Lord, thank you for being so kind, compassionate, faithful, 
and patient. For as many times as we have wandered away from you. Lord, I pray that any time we feel like we have done, done too much, we have gone too far away from you, or we have sinned too greatly, that you would remind us of these great words through your great prophet. That you will save us and strengthen us and bring us home. And Lord, we look forward to being with you for eternity, forever. We look forward to the final reality of coming home. And we know that what we enjoy right now is just a a, a foretaste and a deposit, just a, a little bit of the great things to come. Help us to always see what lies ahead. And Lord, for every time that we fall down, remind us to come home to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, sing an invitation song, and the invitation is for you to come home. Come home to the Lord this very day. Choose to follow him with all of your heart, to see the compassion and love of God who wants a relationship with you. He wants it deeply with you. And you just simply confess, my ways don't work, and it is God's ways. I need to follow his way. I will seek him and stop following my own desires, but I'll seek his desires confessing Jesus to be your King, your Lord and Savior who came to this world and died for you so that he could whistle you to come home. He wants that for you. If you haven't been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, you need to do that to initiate this relationship and start walking with him faithfully the days ahead. We would love to help you in that. If we can help you in any way respond to God's call, you can let me know afterward. You can grab somebody around you or you can come forward now while we stand and while we sing.